Marco Krenjich, Dach Washington DC, Dach Jich Tach, Edge Klingachol Vijat, The Fluent Show, Bokoitach. Oh my god! It's, I love it when people do this. Welcome to The Fluent Show, a podcast all about loving, living and learning languages. Hello everyone, my name is Kirsten Cable from fluentlanguage.co.uk, a website where you can find tips and courses to help you succeed in learning another language, or maybe three. <laughs> hello everyone, hello Fluent Fam. Today on the show, you're going to hear an interview with a linguist whose work has changed lives for lots and lots of people, created endless amounts of community and connection around the world. And the community is very special. It is Star Trek fans. <laughs> it's just an amazing interview and I really look forward to sharing this with you. Before we bring you that, let's give a quick shout out to The Fluent Show's sponsor because I want you to know about this software and give them a go if you have never tried them before. Fluent Show is currently sponsored by Link, which is super smart software that helps you quickly look up words you don't understand in the content that you want to read and watch. Link offers over 24 languages. I checked. Sadly, no Klingon. <laughs> so you can cut straight to enjoying what's going on. You can watch TV shows. You can listen to podcasts. You can read books. You can read mini stories that they've created, sort of like graded readers at your level, which is what I'm doing in Chinese at the moment. So read and listen to the content you love, and then you learn new words and phrases as you just go through subtitle, as you go through transcripts, as you go through articles, click on the words that you don't understand, and they'll be added to your dictionary. You track your progress, enjoy your journey anytime and anywhere. Links available on mobile, is available on tablet devices and in browser as well. And they are offering Fluent Show listeners 35% off their premium plan. Now, you don't have to get that premium plan. I want to let you know that Link is completely free to use. It's just that the premium plan makes your experience a lot cooler and a lot better. And it's it's a little bit more effective because you just get to make more of those links, those dictionary entries for yourself. So if you ever want to raise your, raise your game, raise your subscription and get one of those premium plans... Link is offering you 35% off the premium plan if you go to fluentlanguage.co.uk slash read more. And that is also the address where you can check out Link for free. So it's fluentlanguage.co.uk slash read more. Thank you, Link, for supporting the Fluent Show. This show is also backed by a community of supporters on Patreon. To find out more about how you can join them and support me and my husband, the editor, as we create these weekly podcast episodes for you, go to patreon.com slash fluent show. Let's talk about this interview now. We're so excited. Think of, let's say, think of the last time that you spent a few hours relaxing on the couch, maybe on a Saturday, maybe on a weekend. You might have gone out partying the night before. Maybe you were just waiting for a friend to come round and you had an hour or two to kill. So you were keeping yourself entertained by switching through TV channels. And maybe during that channel surfing session, you came across some futuristic scenes. A spaceship flying around between planets, exploring space, meeting aliens. The final frontier. Those might have been the voyages of Starship Enterprise in the Star Trek TV series, boldly going where no man has gone before. The series started in the 1960s and it did so well, it soon expanded into feature films. And that's when a producer from Paramount had an idea. How about we create a little bit of dialogue for one of the alien races? let's say the Vulcans, let's say the Klingons, and have them speak their own language. To do this, they needed a linguistic consultant, and so the Star Trek team started talking to Mark Ockrand, who was a linguist. Mark Ockrand created a few lines of Klingon dialogue just for people to you know, put into the film. And these were so popular 
So popular that soon Mark got hired again and again and again. And what was just three lines of dialogue soon became a fully functional, fictional alien language, the Klingon language. Mark is now the author of the Klingon Dictionary, the Klingon Way, a warrior's guide and Klingon for the galactic traveler. He's written a lot about this language. He is the authority on Klingon around the world. He did the translation for the Klingon opera. Yes, there is one. And an expanded version of the opera story in Pakbath, the Klingon epic, which I'm sure I have mispronounced. Recently, I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing Mark himself about the creation of this language and the incredible fandom and community that it has gone on to create. What stood out to me was the warmth and gratitude and just the appreciation that Mark has for this remarkable community of language learners, united by this unique way to express themselves and their love for the stories of Star Trek in their very own language, in Klingon. In this interview, I started off by... Asking Mark about a quote from the Klingon culture, or was it? So I've been Googling Klingon quotes and I found one. I thought maybe it's, it's quite suitable to start us off. And that is, great men do not seek power, it is thrust upon them. Which I'm not entirely sure whether that is actually in the Klingon language, but apparently it's part of the Klingon culture. It's part of the Klingon culture. Actually, of course, it's really Shakespeare, but that's okay, because lots of Star Trek is Shakespeare. <laughs> Well, well, I didn't even know that. Okay. Yeah, it's from Twelfth Night, or or it's it's a, it's based on a quote in Twelfth Night. Oh, and there is a Klingon Shakespeare there translation. Is. Yeah, there is. Yeah, several works of, of Shakespeare have been translated into Klingon. Well, the other way around, several of the original Klingon works have been translated into English by Shakespeare. And that's that's where really the the great power aspect comes in, because I'm thinking there are languages in the world that may not have a Shakespeare translation, or people, you know never had that cultural crossover but the Klingon language has and it's really inspired people in that way and you're you have that title that that awareness that you've created this language that has inspired people all over the world so my first question was sort of about this having great power thrust upon you do you feel like you sort this out this job is this what you wanted to do always no <laughs> uh, I'm by training. I'm a linguist, so you know, working with languages is is something that I've always liked to do. Uh, and working in movies is sort of always been lingering there. I grew up in Los Angeles, so it's kind of been part of my culture in a way all the time. Mm. Uh, but I never thought the two would ever come together, and it ha and it came together for me totally by accident. I didn't go to Paramount asking to 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 do this. I didn't create Klingon first. And come to them. They came. They came to me because I created Vulcan. But that's another story. We can talk about that too. But I never thought that anything would happen with it, other than uh, I'd, I'd create—I don't know—half a dozen, a dozen lines of dialogue for a film, and that would be a good contribution to the film to make the film more fun and interesting and realistic and all of that. And I honestly and truly thought that would be the end of it, but I was wrong. Mm -hmm. This is from how I understand the creation of Klingon. What happened was. A Klingon character already existed, spoke English, and then they dubbed over it. So you had to match lip shapes. Is that a myth? No, no, no. That 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 that, that well, it's 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 two myths put together. Ooh. Um, what it was is uh, my my work with Star Trek started not with Klingon but with Vulcan, right, Mister Spock's language. Oh yeah. And that was for Star Trek Two, uh, and my my. Uh, the beginnings of all this stuff is, I was hap happened to be at Paramount. It sounds silly, but it, it sounds like it's one of these Hollywood stories. But it's true. Uh, I happened to be at Paramount having lunch with a friend, and they said who was working on Star Trek, Star Trek Two, and they said that they were uh, working with a linguist at UCLA to create some Vulcan dialogue for the film. But there was some issue, some some logistic issue. They couldn't be in the same place at the same time, or someone was out of town, or I don't know something. And they were worried about whether how to get this work done. And they told me what was involved, and I said, "Well, I I, I can do that." And it, it all fell into place, uh, partly because being at the right place at the right time, and probably because I knew the producer of the film. Although I didn't go there for this job, it just it just all worked out. 
And what that was all about is there was a scene in the, in the film where Mr. Spock and a new female Vulcan character named Savik uh, have a little conversation. And as filmed, they were speaking English because the script said to speak English. But in post-production, in editing, the producers decided, you know, it would make much more sense for a number of reasons if they were speaking Vulcan to each other. And they figured the easiest way to do this was to hire this linguist from UCLA mm-hmm. uh, uh, to come over and look at the scene, look at their lips, write down what they're saying, and basically come up with gibberish, with gobbledygook, that sounded different but matched the lips. And then they would dub it in, like dubbing in a, a foreign film, and they would say this stuff, they would put subtitles. So that's what I did. So I watched watched this little scene, made up some nonsense syllables that matched the lip movement, uh, worked with the actors to dub it in, and that that was the end of that. That was the end of that was the end of Vulcan for me. Um, and about a year and a half later, the producer Harv Bennett called and said, "Well, we're making another movie, Star Trek Three. Uh, in this movie, there's going to be Klingons. They're going to be the enemies. And I think they should have their own language. Uh, you did Vulcan in the other film. You want to do Klingon?" So I said, "Yeah." So Klingon started. As a, as a real language, not as uh, not as just lip syncing. Ah, uh, what do you think moved the producer to say, "I think Klingon should be should be its own language"? I think they they were just talking about how to give the uh, Klingons uh, some more depth to mm-hmm. make them seem more real. Uh, uh, they started thinking about. Uh, why are these aliens that are supposed to be different every way? Why do they just talk English? Mm. We knew, we knew from from the original Star Trek series there was such a thing as the Klingon language, uh, but no one had ever heard it before. Now, I should say that that I started with Klingon with Star Trek Three. In Star Trek: The Motion Picture, which came out a few years earlier, there is a little bit of Klingon, and the first time you hear Klingon is in that movie. The history of Klingon is. The, the notion that there is such a thing started in the original series. As they say, they say there's such a language, but they don't speak it. Um, then in Star Trek, the motion picture, the very beginning of the movie is three Klingon ships. And one by one, they, they disappear. They get zapped by some strange thing. Uh, but before that happens, we see inside the main ship and the, the captain, the commander of the ship, is barking out commands in Klingon with this in this strange language with subtitles, so he's really saying something. That's the beginning. And I came in with a couple of movies later in Star Trek III, building on the little bit that was in the first movie and adding adding a whole lot to it. The stuff in the first movie was created uh, by one of the producers of, of uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture, a guy named John Poville, and Jimmy Doohan, James Doohan, the actor who played Scotty. The two of them worked together to come up with this language. Um, and that's the start. And uh, how much thought they gave to actual vocabulary and grammar and so on, I suspect, was very little. They were very concerned about what it sounds like. I don't think they were too concerned about uh, the way the, the language actually worked. There's mm-hmm. only one word that's clearly repeated, which is bah, which means fire, fire the <laughs> torpedo. Uh, <laughs> well, you got to start somewhere. Right. So I guess, I mean, what language doesn't start with fire? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've I've watched um, what's what's the new one? Discovery. Discovery. Yeah. I've watched Discovery, and in Discovery, you get whole scenes, minutes and minutes long, and that's a and huge change. Yeah, yes, emotional conversations. Because, yeah, yeah. In Star Trek Three, as the original script uh, had a lot more Klingon in it than than the subsequent revisions. I mean, uh. a, lot, a lot more dialogue in Klingon, and they changed a lot of that to English uh, as part of this uh, preparation of the script. Uh, and the reason for that, I was told, is because they didn't want to have too many subtitles. Because, actually, you know, this is an American movie and we don't read. So uh, they wanted to have Klingon in there to, to, to give the, the proper flavor and everything, but they didn't want to have too much. Over time, that changed as Klingon kind of caught on. And the idea of having non uh, having, having languages for different races or species or whatever became more and more common in movies. The notion of having lots of dialogue in in a different language became more acceptable. So by the time Discovery comes along, you can have, they can go for five minutes or something entirely in Klingon, and that's okay. But Mm -hmm. that wasn't okay. That wasn't okay when all of this got going. 
and they're very they're not one-dimensional characters in discovery the the klingons there's you know there's story to them and there's there's decision making to them and not you know there's sort of i'm not that wharf in star trek isn't is a one-dimensional character but you really see kind of i feel like the language gives them extra depth and the way that they're using it exactly exactly that was that's one of the reasons they wanted the 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 language kind of caught on is because it did add that characterization and, and depth as you say uh, mm. to to what's going on there uh in 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 other films and production stuff i've heard actors who have to speak non-english or non-french or whatever the language of the the primary language of the film is say that speaking in the other language really helps them create the character because it gives them a sense of who they are and who they're not which is also part of it i've heard that from um from David Peterson as well, who I spoke to about Dothrakian, and I just to me it seems so difficult to imagine because I teach, you know, I teach people or I used to teach people German, mm-hmm. and it's a whole people want to learn the language, but they kind of want to learn all of the language, and then when you're when you're working with an actor on set, I kind of imagined, uh, God, these people, they don't even. Like they don't even see the big life utility. They don't. They're never going to have a Klingon girlfriend, probably. And you know, so I thought, oh gosh, what do you do? You have really unmotivated people. But from both of you, what I've heard is that the actors are are actually more motivated to take on the language because of this aspect of taking on a different character as part of it. Right, and part of acting is is being someone other than yourself, and this helps you to helps you do that. Helps you realize who this character you're taking on is. Mm, that's fascinating. So on the on the Klingon race and the Klingon language, I I wanted to ask you about the sounds of Klingon or to an an uninitiated sort of listener, when you just hear Klingon for the first time, you get a certain impression of it. And everybody, you know, takes the sounds as they will and makes associations with their own, you know, life. But something I've heard is certainly from my co-host. Um, we've previously done a podcast episode that was about fictional languages. So we listened to this song in Klingon that we found somewhere on, on YouTube. And she came out and she said, oh, that sounds exactly like German to me. <laughs> she's, so, hearing, she's, she, she's, she's hearing the sounds, yes. <laughs> she, yeah, everybody hears the sounds in German yeah. always. But I wondered, I wondered about the sound of Klingon. Were you going for, for something specific that had to match the race? Well, yes, but as I say, it started with a little bit of the language that was in Star Trek: The Motion Picture, mm-hmm. uh, and that one had had these uh, these velar raspy sounds, the kinds of sounds, uh, and it also had the quick syllables. Um, so that that was that was the start, and in the script itself, it says that Klingon is a guttural language. It says that says Krug, who's the main villain in Star Trek Three. Krug says in his guttural Klingon, mm. blah blah blah, whatever the line is. Now, guttural is is not a very precise linguistic term, but what I took that to mean from reading the script is those those uh, you know back of the throat raspy sounds, the kinds of sounds. And there was already two that they used in in the motion picture, so I added a third one to kind of satisfy the need of the script, because that's what they wanted. And the reason they wanted to have that, I assume, is because different uh, sounds have different associations with people. And from an English-speaking perspective, and this mm-hmm. movie was made, even though it's, it has worldwide distribution and fans and everything else, it's, it was made you know, in America for an English-speaking audience primarily, and initially. Um, we have an association of those kinds of sounds with 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 toughness and meanness and all this kind of stuff that goes along with the Klingons. So, of course, they're going to speak that way. Mm. Mm, the Germans are often the baddies in the films. <laughs> exactly. It's the, sa- the same kind of association, whether it's true or false, and it's false, because <laughs> the sounds have nothing to do with anything in terms of, of national character or anything, but there's this perception of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, when we think about Kelpian and Vulcan as languages, because you created Kelpian as well, right? And that was right. just Discovery. That was just for discovery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. D- did you then take that there as well and kind of create a language that sounds like, I guess, how those alien races might be seen, like the Vulcans? These uh, what emotion? Emotion is down, logic is up, 
Um, right. And Kelpian, I guess, close to nature. Yeah, well. I've watched one season of, two seasons <laughs> of Discovery. I'm an expert. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, when you're making up a language from, from scratch or for yourself, you follow, you know, one set of criteria. When you're doing it for a, a movie where there's producers and writers and everything else, you have an overlaying set of criteria. Uh, and 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 a, and a third overlaying set of, of practicality. Um, so for uh, Vulcan, for example, there was Vulcan in the original TV series, uh, and so I had to take that into account. For the Vulcan that I did for Star Trek II, the main thing to take into account was lip movements, right? Because it had to just match what was already on the screen. So I could only uh, make up sounds that either looked like what I was seeing on the screen or that you couldn't see on your lips at all. And in fact, when we were working on, on the Vulcan for Star Trek II, because uh, as, as, as I explained earlier, it was kind of all a quick thing, like, oh, you're here, great, yeah, you do it. Um, I watched the thing, made up the, the lines, and then went in the next day to work with uh, Kirstie Alley, who is the the actor who played Savik. Wow! And right before we went over to the soundstage, the associate producer said to me, "He said, you know, in Star Trek: The Motion Picture, they spoke Vulcan." And I said, "Yeah, I know that, but I hadn't watched it because this is pre-internet and stuff." And you know, I it might have in the early it was in the early days of videotape, even so, I didn't have access to this stuff. Um. And even if I did, it wouldn't matter because I didn't know I was going to do it. But anyway, he said, well, let's go watch that scene in Star Trek, the motion picture, so that your Vulcan sounds like that Vulcan. So it sounds like the same language. And I'm thinking, oh, great. Now that I've already made it up to match the lips, now I have to go fix it in five minutes to sound like this other, this other language that's already in the film. So we watched it, and I was paying very close attention to sounds... Uh, that I could sprinkle into what I've done that did not affect the lip movements, <laughs> right? Because right. Because I'd already matched the lips, and what air, and so that meant sounds made in the back of your mouth, right? Not 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 the sounds made in the front, right? And so what I heard in the in the Vulcan in that film was these same these same raspy Klingon sounds, the kinds of sounds. So I sprinkled them uh, in into the Vulcan. Uh, and that's what we recorded. So there's a couple of those kinds of sounds in Vulcan, just because I wanted sounds in there that you couldn't see, right? So this had nothing to do with the character of the Vulcan or what they were saying or anything else. It was the requirements of movie making that that uh, that caused that to happen. What does that look like when you when you do a five you say a five minute fix? Do you do you just kind of re retire into a corner with with your piece of paper and then you come back and go right here where we wanted to say hot we're gonna say hoch or something? Well, for something for something that short, yes, but it took a lot more than five minutes to come up with the original the original for lip sure, syncing, yes. the original lines. Yeah, but but yeah, we throw in the here. I could throw in something here, throw in something there. That was pretty quick. Then when we were actually doing it. We were actually doing the recording. We did we did the two actors on two different days. So the first day we did Kirstie Ali Savick and her lines, and a couple of days later I went back and did the same thing with Leonard Nimoy, right, Mr. Spock. And before we started, he and I were practicing, and I, he only had two lines. And he said, "Okay, now this line here, if I change this syllable from this to this, will that still work as far as the lip movements are concerned?" And I said, "Yeah." Yeah, that didn't affect the, the, the lip movements. He says, okay, I'm going to change that because that'll be easier for me to say. Now, in this other one here, if we change this to this, will that still work? And I said, no, that won't work. Don't change it. He says, okay, we'll leave that one alone. So we made some minor little uh, modifications as we were going along. And it didn't matter because none of this stuff meant anything, right? The origins of, of, of Vulcan is gobbledygook, which Vulcan fans don't like to hear, but it's true. Mm-hmm. I, I can't... I can't in my head imagine how or when you went from gobbledygook to to meaning yeah for vulcan that happened later because after i did the little bit of vulcan for star trek 2 there wasn't any uh-huh yeah any spoken vulcan for a long time and then when it came back i'm not i'm not sure when did it come back oh boy 
Well, it, cer- it certainly came back by the time of the Enterprise, the, the TV show called Enterprise. There might have been something before that for something or other. Um, huh. I don't even remember. Uh, but at that point, I said, okay, look, here's what I've got, and here's the Vulcan that was in the original TV series. And there was. There was, there was, it, there was individual words. There was no sentences except for one, one word sentence, which is Kraika, which means stop, cut it out, you know, halt. That was the only sentence in Vulcan in the original series. Right, um, yeah. So I took all of that and incorporated it as a, 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 made that be a base and then built on that and then and, and imposed a grammar on it, which was not too tough because there wasn't that much to begin with, but then it was, was consistent with everything else I did after that. And I guess the, the biggest growth of Vulcan came uh, with the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies because there was Vulcan uh, created for the, for those, for the first one of those. Oh, yes, yeah. And in Klingon, is a similar kind of evolution there? Klingon is more complex. For, for Klingon, you know, there was that little bit in Star Trek, the motion picture. There's maybe half a dozen lines. Uh, uh, and we knew what the, the sentence meant, but we didn't know what the individual words or syllables meant. You know, so if there was a three-word phrase, three, th- or three-syllable phrase in Klingon, I decide, okay, is this one word or two words or three words? And if it's Two words, is it two syllables, then one, or one syllable, then two? No way of knowing. So I just said, it's one syllable, then two, or the other way around, just because. No reason for that at all. Um, that, you know, that, that was the start, and added more sounds, because if I just used the sounds that were in the motion picture, all the words would have sounded alike, because there wasn't all that much of it, and kept track of what I was doing. Um, um, but made sure that the grammar was consistent, the vocabulary was consistent, and so on. Originally, all this was done for Star Trek III, there wasn't all that much. There was, I don't know, a dozen lines, 20 lines, maybe, uh, many of which never made their way into the film, but just, which is normal movie-making that has nothing to do with Klingon or, or, or the language or anything like that. Um, and that was it. And I thought that, that was the end of it in terms of how much development there was going to be and stuff. So there was very limited grammar and very limited vocabulary. But in the course of filming, because I was I was on set with the actors almost all of the time they speak Klingon. Occasionally, I wasn't there, but I was there most of the time. Uh, and all the, well, all the way, when, you, when, when you make a movie, mostly what you do is nothing. I mean, when you're on the set mostly what you do is wait around for something to happen. Then all of a sudden there's a lot of activity and they film a scene, then there's a lot of waiting around. And during all this waiting around time, people would come up to me and say, oh, you're the language guy. And I say, yeah. And they say, say something in Klingon. And I would say, okay, what should I say? And they would say, say hello, how are you? And I would say, a Klingon would never say that. And they would laugh and go away. Um, but over time, I, I realized that these people, meaning the filmmaking people, the film crew, were very interested in this language because they'd never apparently worked on a film where this was uh, incorporated in the way it, it was in, in this film. So I got the idea that, you know, if these guys, these movie-making people are interested in it, there's a kind of person out there who at that time I hadn't had a lot of interaction with called a Star Trek fan. <laughs> they might be interested in it. So I proposed the idea of, of writing a book explaining how the language worked. Uh and the producers and the production company and the powers that be over there said, yeah, that's a good idea. Write the book. And that's how the, the Klingon Dictionary came about. When I sat down to write the dictionary, I incorporated all of the stuff I'd made up for the movie, whether it was in the movie or not, right? Whether it was actually filmed or not. But that made it still a, a very, very skinny book because there was not anywhere near enough vocabulary to make this you know, interesting or worthwhile, and there are a lot of holes in the grammar. So I expanded a lot. I expanded the grammar. I especially expanded the vocabulary. So the the initial big growth of of the Klingon language came as a result of this book. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. And then was it a case of the book got sold and it really resonated with people? Did you expect it to at that point? You sort of had a sense that people were there was something there that people were curious about. I expect, here's what I expected to happen. When you write a book, you hope that people will buy it, right? Um, so what I thought would happen is I'd write this book, people will buy it. Well, the original, the original plan was for the book to come out when the movie came out, but it was, there was a delay in publication for 
for some kind of bureaucratic reason. I don't know what it was. It wasn't a very interesting reason, whatever it was. Uh, so the book didn't come out till maybe six months after the movie was out, which was a good thing because if the book came out on time, it would not have matched the movie because between the time I wrote the book and the time the movie uh, came out, they made some changes. So I had to change the language around. So I was able to incorporate all those changes in the book before it was printed because of the delay. So that was a good thing because if the book didn't match the movie, uh, then people would say, this is what? This is bogus. I'm not going to pay any attention to this. But I was able to make the changes, so it did match the movie and everything was fine. Uh, so I thought what would happen is people buy the book and look at it and read it and uh, and say, oh, look at this. Here's the Klingon word for shoe or whatever it is. Ha, ha, ha. And once in a while, they'd pick it up and glance at it and say, oh, here's the word for this. Here's the word for that. A few A few people would look at the grammar part and say, oh, this is kind of interesting. And I thought that would be the end of it. So it would be kind of, kind of a novelty, but I, I, I was wrong. <laughs> uh, I was right about the fact that people would buy it, because they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people read it very, very carefully and studied it and talked to each other about it. And one guy compiled and put on the internet a, a list of the typos in it and things like that. <laughs> uh, and I never expected anything like that to have happened. Um, so it's it's there started being some some kind some kind of following to it, uh, and then a couple years, maybe three years uh, after Star Trek Three came out, they made it. Well, they made Star Trek Four, which doesn't have Klingon in it. Star Trek Five had even more Klingon in it. Star Trek Six has Klingon in it. In the meantime, the Next Generation, Star Trek: The Next Generation, started on TV, uh, and they incorporated Klingon into that. Uh, so the publisher wanted to reissue the book with all the new vocabulary. There was new grammar too. They didn't know that, but all the new vocabulary uh, that was created for Star Trek Five and Six and the Next Generation. So a revised edition of the of the dictionary came out, and that's the one that really caught on. That's the one that that, that sold much better and got widespread and started all this stuff going. And I think that's not so much because the dictionary was was new and improved or anything like that. I think that's because at the same time that was getting going, the internet was getting going. So people were able to find each other in a mm. way that they weren't able to do before. And the growth of Klingon and the growth of the internet are, are right in sync. And, and the, the I don't think Klingon would be what it is today in terms of usage off the, you know, outside of TV and the movies uh, had the internet not come along. And did people sort of look to you and refer to you, get in touch with you and sort of you know, not just ask Klingon, you know, sort of grammar questions. So I guess somebody emailed you and goes, hey, I want to say, I want to say this in reported speech and I don't know how to do it. But do you sort of get a lot of, you know, were you suddenly finding yourself asked a lot of questions about it and like finding a sort of sense of, wow, I've got, you know, I'm leading a tribe here. Yeah, that, that was a, that was a strange realization <laughs> when when that happened. Initially, it was just I'd only do Klingon for the film, yeah, yeah, or, or or the TV show or related products. You know, I'd get a a call from somebody. We're making a commercial, and there's going to be a Klingon in it, and we want the Klingon to say something or other in the commercial. Or we're issuing a set of trading cards with Klingon sayings on them, or something like that. So it was all all very much associated with the. Uh, TV show and movies and and products associated with that initially. Uh, then I got a call in the midst of all this from someone who identified himself as the, I don't know what his title was, but the, the leader, president, I don't know, of something called the Klingon Language Institute. I didn't know there was such a thing at that time. Oh my. As the, Kling, as the Klingon Language Institute. Um. So we got together, and I learned that there's a group of people who initially found each other on the internet, but then decided that they really wanted to get together in person every once in a while. And they org organized this uh, association, this Klingon Language Institute. Uh, they had, at that time, they had had one meeting uh, where, where people came together. They published a little journal called Holkred, which is the Klingon word for linguistics means language science. Oh, my God. Uh, and it was a, a refereed journal, which meant someone would write a, an article about how the language works, and a couple other people would look at it to make sure that it made sense and didn't have uh, have mistakes and all that kind of thing. 
And this is all going on. I didn't know any of this was going on. I had no idea this was happening. Uh, the they invited me to the. I think it was the second meeting, but they invited me by phone. <laughs> I wasn't there. Uh, they called me during the meeting at one point, and they passed. The, I, I, I wasn't there, so I can't physically picture quite how it worked. But they passed. This is before mobile phones and everything. So they passed the telephone around somehow. And I talked to some people on the phone. And the next year, I actually went to the meeting. And that was the first time I met people who uh, cared about this language to the extent that they did. And it was, it was actually, it was kind of overwhelming because I had no idea, as I said, I had no idea that this was going on. Yeah. So how did they react to you? How did you react to them? Well, at this meeting, which was the first one, right? Uh, I, what, the way they, they set it up, is they said, well, remember last year at this point during during the meeting, we called Mark on the phone and everyone had a chance to talk to him and so on and so on. Well, Mark can't do that this year because he's out of town. So instead of doing that, we've invited someone. And then they op opened the door and I walked in. So I'm a big surprise, right? <laughs> so no one knew I was coming except the guy in charge and one other person. The president and vice president, I guess, of the, of the I just, I'm not sure what the titles were. Uh, so I walked in the room and everyone turned around. And it was like, <gasps> like everyone recognized me somehow and came over and sat in a big circle around me, like I'm, I'm the tribal elder telling, you know, uh, passing on the lore and all this stuff. And it was really over overwhelming in a way. And to this day, I can't figure out how they knew who I was <laughs> when I walked in because at the time, My picture wasn't everywhere. Now you, know, you can Google me and see what I look like and all these things. But at the time, that wasn't true. So here's this guy wanders in the room and everyone knew who it was. That was I still haven't figured that one out. I don't know. But did they have your picture in, in the dictionary? Like no, on the, no. What? No. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. But but yeah. you were you were kind of you must have been sort of up up for it in the sense of not necessarily like yeah bring me the fame but in the sense of well you know we're all here let's let's talk about it yeah yeah you know and 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 and, and I've gone to all of those meetings well now there's sort of two of them every year but uh one in one in the US normally and one in in Germany um but the US one I've gone to all of them except that first one and one other one I missed for some reason or other Uh, and after doing this for a few years, people, friends who were who were not involved with all this Klingon stuff, would say to me, "You know, why do you go to those things?" And I say, "Well, for, for two reasons: one, it's fun and interesting, uh, and also it's it, it, these people have become family. You know, these people have become good friends uh, that, that people from all over the place that I would never have met had this Klingon not come along." What do all Klingon linguists? Klingon language learners have in common in your mind, if anything? They're all really smart. Uh -huh. <laughs> they, are all, they are all really, I don't say that because they manage Klingon. That, that, that's not why I'm saying it. Because they're really smart in other fields. Uh, and they're all really clever uh, uh, and funny and, and, and like to have a good time. They like to, to joke around. They like to play with the language. Uh, I've explained sometimes to people when you go to one of these Klingon languages to meetings and just as a, as an as an outsider and just kind of wander around, the sound you are most likely to hear is laughing, much more laughing than. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think there's something about the Klingon language that was always going to make sure that it was going to attract your kind of people? No. no. <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure why it, why it happened the way it did. Um uh people said to me why do you think, you know, Klingon caught on and not Vulcan? Um well then, then there's I'd say a couple reasons for that. One is there's not very much Vulcan for people to catch on to or at least not Vulcan that's been in movies and TV. There's a lot of fan Vulcan uh people uh Fans, fans of Vulcans have made up a lot of stuff on their own and incorporated things from novels and everything else. Mm -hmm. But in terms of what's been in the movies uh, and on TV, there's not all that much. Uh, and there's a lot of Klingon, rel relatively speaking. So that's one reason. And the other one is just the, the character 
of the character of a Klingon and the character of a Vulcan or a Romulan or a something else in Star Trek are very different. And the Klingon character is one of boisterousness and fun and things like that, in addition to being mean and awful and warrior-like and stuff. So you can, as, as part of speaking Klingon, uh, have a good time because Klingons like to party and also take on a character that's not you. So you have these very smart sort of intellectual kinds of people talking about being great warriors and carrying on and things like that. It's, it's a kind of, kind of, of intellectual role playing that I think being a very, uh, a calmer kind of character wouldn't allow. Mm. You, you attended Langfest this year, which is where um, I, I was there as well. And I attended your, your various lectures. And right. did you find Langfest is, is another, it's, I, I keep, I, I think it's a, it's a get together of people who are just, again, similar in a similar way, just really into this one subject. And they really love this one subject. And there's a certain vibe when people get together who really share a, an interest in something do you do you feel do you feel that in 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 particular like even stronger in the klingon community i feel it's very similar and i and i noticed that at that langfest it was a very similar kind of thing people are interested people wanted to know what you thought about something or other and what do you uh, what what are you into? And wanted to learn what the other person was doing. Now at, a, at one of the Klingon meetings, everything is Klingon. And at the Langfest, there was all kinds of languages to mm -hmm. talk about. So that so that's a difference. Uh, but the intensity of the interest was was kind of the same. Yeah. Mm. So you mentioned earlier that you know when you make a language for a movie, it's different to making a language for yourself. Have you? Have you always kind of had the drive to create languages? Is there a language that you've created not for a movie? No. <laughs> I never knew. I never thought of myself as someone who would want to create a language until this little bit of Vulcan came along, and and Vulcan initially, as I say, was this lip syncing thing. So that wasn't really language creation. Um, so the first language that I that I came up with was Klingon, uh, which is different from a lot of uh, from the the course of a lot of other language creators who have always wanted to do this or developed an interest to it somewhere along the line and made up languages for themselves. I never did that. Uh, I, I know people who have, and they've done incredible, amazing things with their languages. Uh, but Klingon was always, or initially, was a, a, a corporate invention. You know, it's a different, different beast. Wow. If it hadn't been for Klingon in your life, what do you think you'd be doing? I have no idea. <laughs> Still be a linguist? It's, it's, uh, um, well, yeah, yeah, to, to a certain degree. I wasn't, at the time I started doing Klingon, I wasn't doing linguistics professionally, really. Uh, I had before that. Uh, so I'm not quite sure what would have happened. I, I thought at one point that the, the, the opportunity to work on Star Trek and work on Klingon was really, really life-changing. Um, I realized at one point that practically everybody I know who I'm friends with now, I met because of Star Trek, right? Because of Klingon. Even people who have nothing to do with it. You know, I wouldn't have been at a certain in a certain city and wouldn't therefore never would have met so and so, you know, even though so and so has nothing to do with Klingon, that kind of thing. So it's made a, it made a huge, huge difference. Uh, I'd always been involved with with language kind of stuff, but I don't know. Who, where it would have taken, I really don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. Mm. I mean, I've read somewhere that you you you, appear, you hold a PhD, and that was about Native American dialects. Is that right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I have a PhD in linguistics from Berkeley. Yeah. Uh, and and what my major studies were about, and what my dissertation is about, is um, American Indian languages from the West Coast of the U.S., particularly middle of California. Yeah. Yeah, so not Klingon at all, or not creation of, of languages. So not Klingon nothing. at all, right. And in <laughs> fact, it's interesting because the, the, uh, when I started working on Klingon, uh, which was, again, for Star Trek III, this is, this is what, 1984, something like that, um, and thought about what the language should be all about, I had a few things in mind. One was what the producers wanted. They wanted it to be guttural and... And I wanted one of the lines to mean what the script said and stuff like that. So I didn't control the vocabulary initially. I mean, I could have added stuff that wasn't in the movie, but for the movie, I had to do what they said. Um, 
But I said, okay, now this language is supposed to be an alien language, okay, a non non Earth language. So what does that mean? So, but 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 at the same time, it was going to be spoken by Earth actors, right, by real people. So all the sounds uh, had to be pronounceable by the actors. They weren't going to electronically modify or play tapes backwards or something like that. So everything had to be pronounceable by people. So all the sounds in Klingon had to be sounds you could say. Therefore, there's no sound in Klingon that you can't find in some language or other on Earth. But to make it sound different, what I did was put sounds together that shouldn't be in the same language. Because languages are patterned in certain ways, and there's tendencies, and I violated the tendencies, not all the time, but sometimes, to make make it awkward, sort of, to speak Klingon. And that makes it hard to pronounce, actually. Uh, if you pronounce Klingon correctly, it's difficult. And the reason it's difficult, it's very unnatural, meaning unnatural from a human language point of view. Mm-hmm. But I figured that was okay, because the actors only had to, it's a, for a movie, the actors only had to say it once. So struggle, 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 get it right once. Okay, good, got it. I don't have to say this all the time. Um, I didn't know people were going to speak it to have conversations later on. Um, but anyway, so there was that thinking going into it. And another, another thing I was thinking about when I was uh, coming up with it is I didn't want it to sound like any language on Earth for two reasons. One is because it's not a language from Earth, right? Because they're from outer space somewhere. And secondly, at the time, all we knew about the Klingons is uh, is what we knew from the original series and from what I knew from the script for Star Trek Three. And the Klingons at that time were just mean and awful and terrible and warlike, and you wouldn't want to be with one or be near one and so on. They were just awful people. That's changed. I mean, the, 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 the representation and the development of the Klingons has changed a lot oh, over for the years, sure, but that's what for it sure. was at the time. So I wanted to make sure that it didn't sound like any language, So that if it, because if it sounded like, Thai, then I had the entire country of Thailand angry with me that, that their language, you know, sounds like the Klingons, the language of these mean, awful people. So I wanted to make sure. And in particular, I didn't want it to sound like the language of my dissertation. I didn't want it to sound like that because people say, oh, he based Klingon on the language he wrote his dissertation about. And I wanted to make sure it didn't sound like that at all. And it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, and in fact, shortly after the dictionary came out, there was a, a guy in the Netherlands who did a study comparing Klingon with the language of my dissertation to see if they had any resemblances. And he determined that they did not, except for in some very general kinds of ways. And oh, good. <laughs> so I did it the right way. Uh, the people, the, the language of my dissertation at the time I um, worked on it had zero speakers. The language had died out. The last speaker died in 1930. So all of my work was based on documentation, uh, notes that, that uh, anthropologists and linguists and, and missionaries had taken and things like that. But no one's speaking it. But the fact that the language was gone didn't mean the people were gone. Uh, and Which is why, well, another I wanted to make sure that, that, that this mean language of these mean people didn't sound like their language. Well, it turns out that when the, the the these folks found out that the guy who studied their language is also the guy who created Klingon, they were very proud. They were very happy, uh, and invited me to give a talk about how the study of their language uh, helped give rise to Klingon. Oh, lovely! Okay. And I thought about this for a while because I tried so hard not to make it the same, right? And I thought, but you know. The study of their language did help give give rise to Klingon uh, in certain ways. One is my approach to looking at language was exactly the same because it, I'm starting uh, looking at something where I can't go to somebody and ask them how to do this because for the in the Indian language there's no one to go to, and for Klingon there's no there's no Klingons out there for me to go talk to and ask them. So I had to figure it out for myself. And in one case, I'm figuring it out based on pieces of paper that I'm looking at, and the other one I'm figuring it out from my head. But even so, it's figuring it out without without reference to any people. I can't go talk to someone. Uh, that was that was the same. The way I organized it and thought about it and described it and all that is exactly the same. So yeah, working on their language did form Klingon uh, in in some very significant ways, or form my ways of way of talking about Klingon in very significant ways, even though. There's no sounds intentionally in common, and no certainly no words in common, and no grammatical features intentionally in common, and things like that. There is one suffix 
that's identical in both languages. I put that in as kind of a joke. But other than that, there's no connection. Mm -hmm. what, what language was it? Or is it? It's a language. It's a language. It's a language called Mutsun. It's spoken in the central central part of California, mm -hmm. on the near, near near but not on the coast. And yeah. are there any revitalization efforts now? Yes, yes. As a result of of um, a few things, uh, one is that the the notes that I used uh, to to write my description of the of the language were a, a subset of what was available for one particular. Uh, linguist named John Peabody Harrington, who worked for the Smithsonian. And he had lots and lots and lots of notes, and I used a subset to create, to come up with the dictionary, or to come up with the dissertation. And I'm glad I only had a subset, otherwise I'd probably still be working on it, because there were so many notes. Um, but anyway, after I did all that, uh, all of the notes were microfilmed. That was the technology of the time. Now they'd be scanned and you know digitized and stuff absolutely so so the so the notes became available you didn't have to go to washington dc to to look at them uh and some other people went went through them and organized them uh and created a, a dictionary and language learning materials and the language learning which were based in part on all those notes and in part on my dissertation because my dissertation explains how the grammar works and and there is a language revitalization going on you know, it, just, it, it came from this change from zero speakers down to a handful no one is fluent in this in the sense that they can carry on a conversation about anything you know and and so on but it's it's growing it's and there's uh interest and concern and and care and all that stuff yeah mm -hmm. yeah this i mean this is the because it's the unesco i keep wanting to say it wrong but i think it's unesco it's the international year of indigenous languages so here on the right. show we've had a few conversations with various people and we've kind of talked a lot about indigenous languages and endangered languages and the importance of language revitalization so that's actually really happy that makes me really happy to hear that yeah i i gave a talk you know, about about you know Woodson and klingon to the tribe a few years ago and there was it was an interesting audience because half of the people were there because they were members of the tribe or, re or interested in uh, in the native language and things like that, and half the people were Star Trek fans. Mm -hmm. So it was an interesting group. <laughs> That's wonderful that you're able to to shine a light on it through yeah. you know through Klingon through something right. completely yeah. different. Yeah. Oh, language connects. <laughs> It's really. Mm -hmm. cool. Is there something I was wondering? Is there One th one thing that you can think of that you've come to believe about language creation and the way language shapes communities that, that other people don't believe or other people aren't aware of. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure. Uh, what what can I say? I I think the 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 main the 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 thing that other people don't believe or that they're not aware of or something like that is a lot of people question why anyone would bother with the made-up language at all. Uh, and you've probably heard this from other people too, from David Peterson perhaps. So people say, why do you spend your time working on made-up languages when there's all these languages dying out or study you know, a language that'll be useful you know, or something like that? No, useful is a classic, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And having worked with the with constructed languages, I mean the ones the ones that I did, and 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 learning as a result of that, you know, about a lot of about a lot of others, I'd say that, that you know working on these languages, uh, besides being fun, which is sort of the main reason to do it, uh, opens you up to all kinds of new ways of thinking about how languages might work, and how how thoughts might work, and how about concepts might work and be connected. And things like that. And the more you look at a language not your own, the more you learn about your own language or your own languages. Because when you're when you're you're, you're constantly comparing and contrasting and trying to think of what how how would I do this in this language, and suddenly realize, oh, that's how my language does that. That's how the other one does it. Oh, you don't have to do it this way. So it it opens opens things up a lot. I have no idea if that answers your question. This. It, it resonates with me personally, for sure, because I'm learning, I learn a minority language, I learn, I learn Welsh as one of my uh -huh. main languages. And with that language, even though it's not 
you know, it's not spoken by a handful of people. There's thousands and they've got high ambitions to get to 1 million speakers by, I think it's 2050. Learning Welsh, you, you hear a lot of, you know, why bother? They all speak English. <clears throat> and there is, there is that undercurrent is often there as well. Even when I speak to English speakers in the USA or in the UK, for example, and they're learning Spanish and they sort of, people... I, I feel like people reach sometimes for a reason and they want to say, well, it's because I'm going there. Well, you're only going right. to, you're only going to be there on holiday for a week. You don't really need to learn all of French. So there's a different reason. And that different reason that kind of human drive and perhaps even to understand our own language more as well. I think there's something there actually. So it, I, I think it's a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> there, there was a, there was a, a lot of years ago, in Oregon, in the state of Oregon here, uh, one of the counties, the, the, I don't know, the, the mental health services, I have no idea what it's called, but it was a governmental agency that dealt with, with mental health issues, uh, decided that they should compile a list of languages that people who might show up for services speak so that if someone did show up speaking Vietnamese or something other, they would have a list uh of people to call to come in and translate or interpret mm -hmm. yeah so they said okay what what languages might might we need we're obviously not going to be able to find somebody for all the languages in the world but what are the most likely ones to show up well we're going to need spanish we're going to need this we're going to need that and someone added klingon to the list is kind of a joke but that got out to the press and so the press is saying the the the, the county mental health department wants to hire a Klingon linguist and people are up in arms. This is a waste of our money and so on and so forth and carrying on. And it was a big deal in this county for a little while. And somebody called me up and wanted me to go on a radio program to talk about this, to, to get what my views on all this were. But between the time we arranged to do the radio show and the time when we actually did it, they changed their mind and took Klingon off of the list. So, so the issue kind of went away, but since this was all arranged, it went on the radio show anyway. And it was one of those, one of those shows where people call in on the phone. So a woman called and she said she is so happy that they, the county changed their mind about this. And the reason she's so happy is because her son, prior to this, said he wanted to learn Klingon. And she tried to discourage him from learning Klingon because she wanted him to learn a useful language, right? Mm -hmm. And she said, had this stayed on there, that, that this was a thing you could do, is be a Klingon interpreter for the county health department, that would have meant that the son was right, that Klingon is a useful thing to know. And it would have made me as a mother wrong. So she was very happy that it went away. Of course, you know, the fact that it was on the list didn't have anything to do with anything, because if, if nobody showed up speaking Klingon, they would spend zero money, so it didn't cost anyone anything. And if someone did happen to show up speaking Klingon, then you did need somebody. So I don't know what the fuss was all about. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's funny, the, the, the kind of, the values people attach to, to language and the, this, the value people attach to this idea of utility uh, is, is very strong. Yeah. Odd but strong. Yeah. Well, Klingon is obviously very useful because I know there's government manuals in this country that tell you things like when you're creating a password uh, for internet stuff, okay, it has to be a strong passwords with upper and lower case and numbers and this and that. Uh, and don't use any real words, including real words, you know, in another language, including Klingon. So. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, listeners, you've been warned. <laughs> you've been warned. Don't use Klingon words. Now, obviously, Mark, that's that does mean this 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 language that you created, it it really has become sort of part of the consciousness and it's, you know, yes, sometimes some people talk about it as a joke, but we've also talked about this community and that it's, you know, it's something to be taken seriously. Something that I was wondering is is there a place that you associate with where you create Klingon? Where you create, you know, we think Jake Rowling wrote Harry Potter in this cafe in Edinburgh. And I think you can go to Paris and see where Sartre wrote his, whatever Sartre wrote, not very culturally educated I am. But do you, is there a place where you say that's where, that's the birthplace of Klingon? 
Well, the birthplace of Klingon was Paramount Studios for for Star Trek the Motion Picture, but the the birthplace of the more expanded Klingon, which is what I did, I suppose, is a little apartment in Washington D.C., <laughs> which is where I live. Yeah. So, would you, did you sort of have your desk? What did that look like? It's a table covered with papers. <laughs> <laughs> it was a mess. It's still a mess. It's still a mess. It's, it's, uh, there was. Uh, it's it's it, it's who was the interview with? It was either with uh, William Shatner or Christopher Plummer. Chris, Christopher Plummer played a Klingon in in Star Trek VI. Mm-hmm. So of course, Shatner was Captain Kirk in in all this all those films and TV shows. And in, in in an interview I saw somewhere, maybe in a book that one of them wrote or something, they talk about the Klingon that was. In Star Trek VI, which is the movie, as I said, the movie that Christopher Plummer was in uh, and Shatner was in, and one of them says, "Well, of course, the you know, they had to go to Washington D.C. to get someone to create that language because where else but Washington D.C. would, would they have someone who knew about Klingon? You know, but it's just coincidence that I happen to live in Washington. It is not a government <laughs> program of any kind." <laughs> It's got to be Washington, D.C. <laughs> it's got to be. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a character trait. Yeah. <laughs> so I have, okay, my, I'm, coming to, I'm coming to my last question, which is a, a listener question, actually. It came from Clayton. I think it's such a good question, so I really wanted to make sure I cover this, uh, which was, if you had known that Klingon would have taken off like it has, is there anything that you think you'd have done differently? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I would have done a couple things differently because every once in a while, you know, things come to haunt me. You know, people say, how do you say this? How do you do that? I go, oh, you do? Oh, why did I do that? Why did I make it up that way? Um, I certainly would have made the phonology different Mm -hmm. a little bit. So in in, in the same way I said I made it things difficult to pronounce on purpose, uh, I wouldn't have done that. I would have made it easy, not easy, but easier to pronounce correctly. Uh, because if people are going to be really speaking, they sh- it, it should it should flow more naturally. It should it should be, cater more to human mouths than to non-human mouths, which was the original design. Uh, I would have done that, and I would have grammatically done a few things differently. There's some stuff I put in there um, almost as a joke, and the joke came back to bite me. So there's some things that are very awkward and clumsy to do. Uh, that, that just kind of don't make any sense, even in the context of Klingon, that I wouldn't have done. But when I did it, I knew they were awkward and clumsy, but I didn't think it'd make any difference because people would read it and go, ha ha, isn't this funny? But that's it. I didn't know people were going to translate Shakespeare. Mm. Well, in, in a living language, we always have evolution, right? We have, you know, English is constantly evolving, French, German, they're, they're constantly changing. Do you think right. Klingon is static or do you think, do you observe changes as people use it? It's 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 it changes a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, mostly not. The, the Klingon speaking community right now, even though there's lots of people doing it, is still, given the way that how big the world is, is relatively small. For sure, yeah. Uh, and uh, the, they've decided, not I. The, the Klingon speaking community has decided that the sole source of new words and the sole arbiter of of grammatical questions is me. That's not a decision I made. No one ever asked me if I wanted to do that. But that's that's how it's kind of uh, settled in. Uh, so so far, no one will change anything. They'll they will talk endlessly. Is this okay? Is this not okay? And they'll say, well, I don't know how to do this. We'll have to ask Mark to find out. Or, you know, uh, in this sentence that Mark made up you know, thirty years ago, he did it this way. Therefore, that must be the right way to do it. You know, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so so they're ve- they're very careful not to to make up new things on their own. Having said that, okay, uh, certainly there's there's little changes that are corrupted. I've made little changes. There's things I, I, I didn't like. So I can say, well, it's like this except when and start adding little exceptions and the exceptions get to be a little bit more common than the, than the original rule. Uh, I've introduced dialects. Uh, the, the first dialectical uh Difference was introduced for Star Trek VI. There's a there's a scene where they talk Klingon in a in a non-standard dialect, and there's some people who who decided this other dialect is really nifty. So there was just a convention in Texas uh, a couple months ago 
of Klingon in this dialect in particular. It was a small convention. I think there was only three people. Nevertheless, there was a convention of this sub-dialect of Klingon taking place. Uh, and so it's a little bit different. And I describe in, in, in one of the books a number of features of other dialects and so on. So there is variation in there. Uh, and I think the language will change over time. It can't not. Uh, people have started saying to me, although they're very, very nice when they say this, they say, you know, you won't be here forever. What do we do when you're not here to ask questions to and things like that? And I don't have a answer to that since I didn't establish that I should be the one to ask questions to in the first place. But uh, something will happen. It'll go off in several directions. And that's fine. That's fine. As long as there's as long as you're able to communicate with each other and understand what the differences are all about and don't yell and scream, this is wrong, but rather yell and scream like linguists do and say, no, it's a different dialect, then that's cool. Mm -hmm. Then that's fine. And is it true that for discovery, you you kind of have a team rather than it's not it's not all, not all Mark. For discovery for Klingon, um, I, I didn't do any of any of that. Wow. Okay, uh, but it's all my words, and it's all my grammar. Okay, but somebody else did the translation. So instead of instead of giving me a line, this is I need to say this. How do you say this? They gave that to somebody else. There's a woman named Robin Stewart who lives in Vancouver, and she was the primary translator for for Discovery. She is she is a superb speaker of Klingon. Uh, and there's a guy, Alan Anderson, who is sort of the, the the backup person and the substitute person who would do stuff when she was not available, or something like that. He's also a terrific speaker of Klingon. So all of the all of the Klingon in Discovery, uh, the actual translation is somebody else. But they did not make up new words and they did not make up new grammar. Right. Okay. That that makes well, makes sense to me for sure. Now, in on the podcast, normally when when if we talk about a specific language, a question that I ask is how would people get started studying? And after all the discussion we've had about Klingon, and I just I love your your excitement, your positivity towards the whole community. I think there's somebody listening somewhere who is excited about it too. So if somebody wants to get started learning Klingon, what are Mark Ockren's top tips. Top tips are go to the Klingon go to the Klingon Language Institute yeah. website, which is kli.org. Uh, that that's the best place to go. There's also a Duolingo course now that you can take. Like you can take anything else on Duolingo. There's a Klingon course there, which I had nothing to do with directly, but it go for it. It's good. <laughs> yeah, it's a good language. <laughs> yeah. Okay, the way I sign off here on the show is that I say goodbye and I say goodbye in English and then I ask my guests to say goodbye and you can say goodbye in any language of your choosing. So before we do that, listeners, if you are interested in learning more about Mark Ockrent, Mark, where should people find out more about you on the web? Oh, for me, I suppose Google me and, and, and then... <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a website or anything like that. Perfect. But, okay. Yeah. So that's, yeah, just Google Mark Ockrand, <laughs> Mark with a C and Ockrand right. with a K. Yes. Yes. Perfect. Right. So it's goodbye from me for this episode. And before I do that, God, I forgot to thank you. This is being very German and efficient here. <laughs> thank you again so much for, for taking oh, the time, welcome. for sharing so many stories. I had I had a ball listening to you. This was really, really fun. Yeah. Well, thank you. This has been great fun. Thanks. Okay, so it's goodbye from me, goodbye, and goodbye from Mark Ockren. Oh, you know, you have to say goodbye now. I just did it in the correct Klingon way. Oh, no! <laughs> uh, Klingon would just turn around and walk out. Thank you for listening to The Fluent Show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting the show by leaving a review in your podcast app or even becoming a member of our Patreon community where our supporter perks include a secret feed full of added show notes and a VIP option where you can get priority answers to your listener questions on the podcast. Don't forget that you can send us your language questions and feedback to hello at fluentlanguage.co.uk or find us on Twitter at The Fluent Show or Instagram hashtag The Fluent Show. We're always so excited to hear from you and read every message and review. See you next week.